My goal in talking to a passive investor is to understand what their problem is or what their their issues are and what their goals are. I'm not going to tell somebody that, you know, they should passively invest if it's not the right fit because frankly the last thing that I want is a passive investor invested in one of these deals who was the wrong fit and shouldn't have invested because it's not right for them. It's not right for me. It's going to be a headache all around, right? It's all better if we just focus on what is the best move yeah. for us. You're listening to the RE Social Podcast with your hosts, Andrew and Vince from Onvi Invest. For more information, go to onviinvest.com. What's up, guys? Welcome to RE Social Podcast. And I have a fellow podcaster with me. I was actually on his podcast recently, Taylor. Um, and he does uh, much bigger things than us. And uh, I wanted uh, Taylor to just uh, kind of take it over. Wow. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I don't know about much bigger, but, uh, you know, I appreciate you having me uh, on the show. And yeah, we do uh, real estate syndications, raise capital for real estate syndications and uh, buy multifamily and self-storage. That's awesome. And so, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners are people who are coming up and, you know, they have the, the duplex and the triplex and the single family and stuff, right? So I wanted you to kind of go over uh, what is a syndication? You're raising capital, you're buying storage. What does that even mean? Like, can I just give us a little insight? Sure. So first, just as a general comment, hosting a podcast, and this may be your experience as well, hosting a podcast is probably one of the best learning opportunities I've ever had personally, professionally, you know, what have you. I've learned so much hosting a podcast and this is going somewhere. Just last night, I interviewed uh, someone, uh, basically he's a sales and marketing trader. And uh, he taught me, I think rightly so, when people hear the word syndication, they hear the word, the phrase Ponzi scheme right? That's where your my mind goes. So let's just put that that phrase out of our mind, right? It, it overly complicates things. And essentially, it's just when a group of investors comes together to buy a property. And that group includes passive investors who don't do anything other than contribute capital and a couple of active investors who find the deal, run the deal, sell the deal, get all the financing and handle you know, all of the heavy lifting or the general partners. So, you know, we want to try to get away from the industry jargon and just turn it into a basic description of how a real estate deal works. And that also, I think, helps it seem less, less like it's daunting, right? It's, it's not as, I think it does get complicated when you get into the weeds, but at a theoretical level it's not like we're talking about some unobtainable thing that you know people can't do it's it's accessible you can figure it out yeah that's that's awesome i actually want to break down uh what a syndication is with a limited partner a general partner but first tell us a little bit about yourself what's your background are you you know are you selling donuts are you an engineer you know are you a banker and how did you get into real estate we always like to know that you know sure yeah happy to happy to have that conversation so I'll rewind, tell you a little bit about, you know, kind of where I come from and, and my money journey, right? And so I don't know about you guys, but I'm old enough that I had a job at Sears one, and it wasn't my first job. It was actually my third job. And at the time you could put 
money in a bank account and get money from the bank for doing that mm -hmm. in the form of interest. That doesn't exist these days, but back then it did. And the first money decision that I remember making was when I had a job at Sears, my third job, and I got a paycheck. It was tiny, you know, by today's standards, but it's the biggest one I'd gotten at the time. And I thought, I need to find a way to turn this into more money. And the only thing I knew then was a, a bank account. So I went and found a different bank that had a money market uh, fund out there, their money market account that I could get at the time 5% interest for putting my money there. And I got a hundred bucks for setting up direct deposit for my tiny little check from Sears, you know, and my evenings and weekends after I left high school. That was the first decision that I made. And then, you know, go on, go to college, get a chemical engineering degree, blah, 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 get a big boy job, get the big boy job. And I, I have a little more money that I want to turn into more money. And first place I go, as I read The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham, your listeners may be familiar with that. I did a minor in economics. That stuff just kind of interests me. I knew about the stock market, learned about that, really squirreled my money away, lived very frugally for a long time and still kind of a frugal guy invested very hard in the market. And it was a great time to invest in the market because the world had just fallen apart. And there were a lot of deals out there, both in, in the market and in real estate. What, what year was that? That was 2011 is when I graduated from college. So at the, and at the time, right, everybody's like, ah, oh, the world's still falling apart. The world's still ending. Well, in reality, that was the best time to be buying basically anything, whether it was real estate yeah. or, you know, the stock market compared to today was, you know, on a fire sale. Um, but, you know, a few years go by from then and uh, yeah, my investments are growing, but I'm doing the math, right? I'm a big math guy and I'm seeing that. How am I going to really benefit from this before I'm 75, you know, and my strategy to benefit from it is to sell the stuff off, which doesn't really seem like the way to do it. I'd rather have cash flow. So, okay, I got to fix this problem. I got to have more money coming in. I got to turn this money into more money somehow. I got to figure something out. So I did the thing, I started doing the thing that a lot of us know who, you know, went to college is I'm going to go back for more college, which isn't really the way to go. But I started studying for, to go get an MBA, took the GMAT, got a good score. But at that time I hit a, a, a turning point or a fork in the road. When I had that experience that, Hey, I don't know if you guys have had, maybe your listeners have had, I picked up this book and I wish I had my copy sitting here so I could wave it around. It's over in the other room picked up this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And man, Robert Kiyosaki told me all the, showed me all the misgivings that I had about going to get an MBA. It's gonna be $300,000 and I'm gonna get a job that I don't want anyway. Uh, yeah. That doesn't really add up. So get into real estate investing, learn about real estate investing. And you know, you're coming into real estate when you don't, if you're like me, you don't know, a, a single family deal from a duplex from a, you know, shopping center strip mall. You don't know what's what, but you go and learn. Here's how a single family deal works. Here's how wholesaling works. I knew immediately wholesaling wasn't for me because it's just not for me, but single family deals and, and duplexes and so forth. There's nothing wrong with them. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, but they didn't give me that man. I need to do this feeling. It didn't, it didn't like hit me in the gut. Like, so you never bought anything like single family or duplex even early on in your journey or no, no, I just skipped that stuff. And you know that whether that was a, a wise decision or not is 
I think up for debate and also a very personal decision. I just had a conversation with a guy today, actually, uh, and get this right. You're, he's 24. He has 15 houses and he thinks he's on the wrong track. He wants to get into syndication. I'm like, dude, you're 24. You have 15 houses. <laughs> just keep doing what you're doing. You're fine. What a loser. <laughs> yeah, right. No, no, totally opposite. This dude's, yeah. you know, I mean, come on, 24 or 15 houses, you know, great shape. So there are a lot of ways to, to, to make money in real estate. Um, but I, after a while, a few years of probably a few years of studying in, in real estate and learning about it, I learned about syndication through a podcast or something like that. And, and I remember the spark that, that hit me. I remember the feeling that again, rewinding to when I had that big boy job, driving to a job that I hated. I didn't hate my coworkers or nice people, but the job was so the wrong fit for me. Drive my little 2001 Volkswagen with 160,000 miles past the office of the townhome complex I lived in. And I just happened to look and I, I saw there was a, an Audi A8 parked at the office. And I thought, I like cars and I know what an Audi A8 is. I know how expensive they are. And I thought, I'm pretty sure whoever's driving that owns this complex. And I'd like to own this complex in that I'd like to have an Audi A8 someday right? Or whatever the equivalent is when I get there, I'd like to have a really nice car, but I don't really see the way that I'm going to ever going to have enough money to buy a 400 unit townhome complex or however much it was. It was pretty big and they were pretty nice townhomes. So I just kind of put the thought away and, you know, forgot about it. And then I learned about syndication and, oh, so the guy with the or gal with the Audi A8 probably doesn't own the whole thing. They partnered with passive investors, pay them a return and do it well. And that's how they make their money in real estate. And that was just like, oh, okay. And I was just hooked from there. I just had to figure out how to get involved in real estate syndication and in doing these big deals. That just is really what, what spoke to me, that feeling. And now, I mean... I don't want an Audi A. I don't care. It's fine, but I, I just get the feeling of being involved with these huge deals is uh, is awesome. So that's that's really good. That's a good segue to where we wanted to go. But before that, really quick, I wanted to know: most people figure out about money and how to make more money. But you said something really profound. You already knew your money had to make more money before you read Rich Dad Poor How did you come to that when you were in high school? Nobody knows that. You just figure it out? No, I mean, I think my, you know, I, I don't come from a real estate investing family necessarily. My parents are busy professionals, great people. They're good with money. They're very, you know, they're frugal, but they're not, they're not investors, but they did, you know, teach us about saving your money and putting it in, in certain things. Now, one of the reasons I went to get a better interest rate on a bank is because, you know, that's kind of along the lines of what my parents taught me to do. That was like the exposure that I had had is, hey, you can get a better interest rate at this bank, you know, and that, I think that was a, a good start. So that that is what got me started, frankly, was, you know, my parents giving me those initial lessons, you know, and um, frankly, I like I like having money. I, I, I'm not big on spending money and the feeling of turning it into more is just great. So once you get that first anything, I, I, I don't really care what it is. If you're somebody that likes turning money into more money, once you get that first, even 5%, just something you're like, oh, so this works, 
right? I just have to find a way to do it more. So, know? uh, so what was your first deal in, in real estate? I'm kind of curious as to how that all came about. Like, how'd you structure it? How'd you, how'd you get the balls to even like figure it out? Cause like our first deal was a triplex and I thought that was like, Oh, weird. The ballsiest of the ballsies, you know? So what, what's happening with yours? Yeah. I mean, and as a general comment, you know, I, I don't mean to, to downplay or, or denigrate or anything like that. Um, talk down about buying a triplex or anything like that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. It just wasn't right for me. For me, my first involvement with real estate was as a passive investor, because again, I'd been saving my money and investing it and, and turning it into more. And I didn't know what I was going to do with it. But once I learned about syndication, I was like, okay, well, I have some money. I'm going to start investing in syndication deals. Now on the active side, that took a few years of networking and figuring out ways in which I could add value and, and meeting people. And just a long time. I mean, it, it, sometimes people say persistent, patient. I say stubborn. I'm stubborn. I'm not giving up because that's not an option. I might have to find a different way to achieve my goals sometimes, but I'm not going to stop. So I got involved with a, a team of people that I had known for a few years, and we bought an apartment complex, 225 units in Amarillo, Texas. And uh, we've since sold that property. We owned it through COVID uh, up until uh, mid 2021. And it was a C-class property and we turned it around and, you know, we did well for our investors and ourselves, but you know, there are headaches along the way, especially with, you know, COVID and getting, uh, we had a lot of capital expenditure type of uh, issues involved along the way, which is kind of the nature of older C-class properties that have a lot of deferred maintenance. There's just going to be stuff that comes up and uh, you need to be prepared for that but it's a headache in a moment when it actually happens. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that was, that was the first deal. So your first deal was as a passive investor? My, yeah, my first deal was a passive investor. That was not the Amarillo deal. The Amarillo deal was on the active Okay, side. so let's go back. So you know, just for, since we have a bit of younger audience, let me just mm -hmm. break down real quick to them. So guys, when you buy something, a, a larger uh, prospect or a product, like a 200 unit, we usually say passive investor, active investor, and they usually split the equity. Usually the active people who put the deal together, like Taylor mentioned, they'll get about 30% and then 70% goes to the guys who give the money. So in that part, first particular deal, if you gave all the money, you would keep 70% of the deal. Would you mind telling us, you don't have to, how much money you put into the first deal? 35,000. Well, that's pretty good. And then uh, you got a 2X, 3X return on that or? So that, uh, the deal is um, interesting. So. I can't rem remember. It's been so long now. I can't remember what our projected re returns are. And frankly, I don't remember what our actual returns are either. Okay. It's been so long, but there was a good lesson out of that deal. We did not meet the projections and there's a reason why. Um, and this gets into complicated things. I got to be fairly uh, generic here, but after a few months of owning the property, maybe six, eight months or so, uh, timeline's foggy now, uh, the general partner discovered that it, looked like the property manager was doing something shady with the money. Something wasn't really working out. And we didn't really ever get the straightest answer about what happened, but maybe misappropriation of funds. I don't, I don't know. Um, but once that was discovered, 
that gets into some big issues, right? And this is a, a big lesson in that particular deal. The property manager, the owner of the property management company, had general partnership equity in that deal, which meant that he was basically one of the active investors and that was part of his compensation. And that's not good in my experience and my observation and, and my opinion, not just from that deal, but I've seen other people have issues with this because when you have a property manager that is either not performing or is you know outright mistreating funds and they have an equity stake, particularly a general partnership equity stake, it's a legal headache to set that all straight, right? And and that battle that fortunately I wasn't involved in, I was just an observer, it was, you know, my money. Um, that that ended up working out. We ended up making money on the deal. Uh, but I think that was a lot of that probably has to do with the market more so than things really were working out in our favor with the business plan because there was such a disruption uh, when that happened. So the big lesson there is if you're going to, you know, in my opinion, if you're going to have a third party property manager, they really need to be a third party property manager. So if you have to fire them, we've had to fire them on other deals and part ways with property managers. It needs to be a clean break that you don't want to deal with, you know, equity issues in there. And that's not the same as if the general partner owns their own property management company, then you have more control. There's, you know, not as many concerns, but third party, you need to be able to get them out of the deal without, with minimal headache, if you will. So there was a big lesson uh, in that deal for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, that's that's really um, good that you had that lesson early on in your career where you only dropped in 35 grand instead of $350,000. Um, that's <laughs> that's cool. right. So uh, you have a question? I was, was going to ask you, yeah. what would you do differently? You can't. He's a passive investor. He's crude on that. No, 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 no. Let's say, you know, <clears throat> what, what, what would you do differently on that first deal with that 35K? Would you, would you vet? the team a little harder or what was anything that was like a lesson we could give to our listeners that would I, sure yeah great question so this was complicated by and i you know my heart goes out to the the operator general partner i think he did a good job once this was discovered he really handled the damage control well and i'm not using names here but sure. you know um i think he did a good job so if you know whatever it comes up he did the right thing and it ended up working out. Um, but he had other properties, other businesses with this property manager. And my understanding is that the legal situation worked out worse for those properties. So, you know, in my mind, I don't know realistically what additional due diligence I could have done at that stage that would have revealed the future misbehavior. But like I said, I do think the lesson there is if you have a third party property manager, they need to be a third party property manager and not one of the general partners. Were they giving you statements like quarterly statements and stuff so you could kind of see what was happening or was that not part of the? Yeah, we were getting financials. Um, truthfully, when I'm a passive investor in a deal, I'm not inspecting the financials. I mean, I'll yeah. take a glance at them. That's just me. But I mean, if there's nothing I can do anyway, then frankly, I'm not going to burn my time on it that much. My decision is made, you know, right. I'm not getting my money back until the property right. sells. So right. there we right. go. Yeah. 
I want to I want to uh, go into your active deal, but I just wanted to uh, mention in the podcast, so listeners can know, uh, it is very hard for a passive investor to know what to do on his first deal, how the uh, GP structure is structured with equity split yeah. going to the third party property manager. It'll be very hard to catch. So I think it will be tough, but it's a good yeah. um, lesson to know. Like if you guys are doing an investment now, maybe you can think of that. But um, so um, so we talked about being passively involved in real estate. So I like to say to people, you know, there's only a couple of ways to get involved in real estate, right? Either you bring the money or you bring some kind of value, right? Or you can bring value by bringing money. But the other thing is you can do property management. You can find the deal. You can source the deal. You can bring the capital from other people. That's what you're doing. Capital raising for the active part of the, you know, the syndication. So that's one. Um, so I wanted to know how you got into the active side. What role did you do, and you know how? What kind of a, a structure split was that? Sure. So, so on that particular deal, I mean, I was involved with asset management, with helping acquire the deal. You know, obviously, everybody's when you're in a general partnership, everybody's expected to help raise capital. So that's kind of part of the deal too. Mm-hmm. But you know, throughout the the course of the deal, I mean, we were on the phone with the property manager every Monday at, at you know, I don't know, evening or something like that. I don't remember the time, but, um, you know, really consistently walking them through because it was a pretty heavy lift. And, you know, there was uh, one person on the team really kind of headed up running that, that asset management of the property manager, running through the vacancies, what the plan is, what are our collections. And that became key during COVID when the eviction moratorium was in place, we had a really, really awesome gal that was in in the office at the property that had good relationships with the tenants and worked with them to get the various aid packages that were available so that we were still able to have revenue coming into the property because collections in the C-class properties were kind of an issue for a lot of operators for at least a part of COVID. And there were the, those aid programs available. And the difference in, in my experience in collecting on those aids, aid programs, oftentimes came down to whether you had relationships or someone had relationships with tenants to basically convince them to apply to the programs because at least in certain areas, if they didn't want to apply, you can't get them out anyway. And if they did want to apply, if they did want to work with you, if they, basically if they liked somebody in, in my estimation, then they'd be more willing to apply for those and you know, everything would go a lot more smoothly. But if they didn't want to talk to you, they didn't want to talk to somebody in the office, then they didn't need to. And you know, that was one of the things that came up in a different deal uh, throughout COVID. But um, yeah. Yeah, we have our... straight away there, but uh, that's big on my mind now. We can, we can relate. And in yeah. so many ways, that's probably one of the biggest lessons that we have had to learn in the past year is relationships. You know, Vince is, is brilliant with numbers. And, uh, and, you know, the first few deals we did on paper were supposed to be like, you know, generous cash flow, but we forgot, you know, about the, the human aspect. And so CD areas and properties, it just comes with its share of headaches. And then of course, the second someone gets an excuse with, you know, eviction moratorium or COVID, they're going to take advantage of that. And we definitely got hit a little bit with that. Luckily we have enough assets where it wasn't like huge deal, but 
it's just a pain. And what's interesting about you saying that relationship with the, uh, the, the management and the tenant, that's literally a lesson I just learned like last week, because we're talking about, I don't want to throw it out there too much, but we're talking about moving to a different property management company um for certain apps some assets right technically the same franchise just a different owner (laughs) yeah so exactly yeah and so and one of the big selling points that i really like about what you know he's saying about this property manager is he develops relationships with people he builds like a little rapport and for me personally uh, i've i've got some decent success if you will and and just what i've been doing and i would say 80% 80% of the reason for whatever success I've ever had, whatever that means to, to, to you or me is because of relationships. It's because of people. It's because of this guy. It's because of just, just being able to do this successfully. And that, uh, I mean, the emotional intelligence factor is way more important than any other kind of intelligence. And that's interesting. You touched on that because we just had to learn it the hard way. You know, we had this property management company where it's very faceless, uh, just some corporation. I'm sure they barely even talk to the tenants aside from, hey, where's the rent? And of course, so, you know, it, it was just, it's been, it's been a bit of a headache and uh, trying to manage the managers when they're barely managing the tenants. So it's, yeah. It, so anyways, I just want to touch on that for the audience. Relationships, relationships. You know? Hey, Taylor. So I wanted to go back to the stuff we were talking about. So you decided to do the syndications and you went on to the active side, right? So what did you tell them? What, what, what expertise were you bringing and what was your role? Because you touched about asset management and capital raising. Those are two different things. Yeah. Yeah. They are different things. I mean, sometimes you have to bring multiple things to the table. I mean, other deals you ha- you can help on, <laughs> you know, in, the, in this case, help on a different case, help on due diligence. You know, you can help on underwriting is another example of, of ways that I've, you know, helped add value to teams. And sometimes you have to, I mean, and this has been a process of development for me too, over time is you have to kind of figure out what your best fit in the space is. What do you really like to do the most? And for me, this is the reason that I, I kind of transitioned my involvement in the business because the thing that I like to do is raise capital. That's that's I like talking to passive investors. I like learning about their money problems. I like turning money into more money. Again, going back to the first part, and if I can help people do that, who it's you know who these deals are a good fit for, that's very important. Then I mean, it's just fun. I mean, I talk with I got a call this morning with a. Uh, potential passive investor, really nice lady and, and her husband who are looking at the next 10 years preparing for their retirement. They have some real estate investments. They're deciding which direction to go. And we just talk for a while, learn about them and see if I can help them out. And if if so, great. And if not, that's great too. And you know, we, you know, part as friends. But that's what I prefer. So, but it's hard to do that in a compliant manner to just raise capital as your business because you can't just go to somebody and say, hey, you know, I'll raise money for you and you should pay me for that. You have to do it in a compliant manner. So I spent the better part of of 2021 getting securities licensed so that I could focus on working with operators and just raising capital because things like asset management or, or underwriting, so you have to underwrite a lot of deals to find a deal that works. They're not my thing. They don't, they don't bring me that energy. I I wouldn't want to, wake up at 6am to underwrite a property. You know, it's part of the business. You have to still know how to do it. 
but it's not something that I could do, you know, all day and, and be happy about, I suppose. But, but talking to investors, doing podcast interviews like this, writing my newsletter, whatever, it's just fun. You know, it's just straight up fun. So that's what I chose to say, pivot a little bit and also clarify kind of laser focus my uh, involvement in the space. So what kind of, uh, how many people were involved in that first syndication and what were like the splits like, do you remember? Is it like 50 people or is it like three guys? Oh man, I don't remember. Okay, that's cool. Um, I think it was probably five, five or so. so. And then I put... A lot of uh-huh. passive investors too. I mean, I don't know. I don't remember the number of. So the five investors. five people just bet twenty percent each on the on the GP side of things, right? And it's kind of it, it, the the splits kind of vary based on how people mm-hmm. want to break things up and what different people are you know bringing to the table, and you can have yeah, sure. KPs and all that. You know, yes, that makes sense. That's cool. It is interesting that you are an engineer and you like to talk to people and not do numbers. That is that is weird. Yeah. <laughs> That is weird because usually engineers like things, not as much people. Yeah. It sounds to me like you like people more than things. I mean, to go back to the earlier part of our conversation, the, the mm-hmm. spark that wanted, made me want to get into this business was an Audi A8 sitting in a you know yeah. office of a property. So I do like things. Um, and you know th- that's an interesting topic on introvert, extrovert. And um, so here, I'll give you an example. This is another formative moment for me as a real estate investor and something that still means actually legitimately means a lot to me today. Once I decided years ago that I want to get into real estate syndication, want to do these big deals. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I really want to figure it out. I booked a ticket to a real estate guy's secrets of successful, successful syndication event. Uh, this one is, was in Phoenix and Hey, wouldn't you know, my best friend from college moved to Phoenix and he was living there at the time. So awesome. I'll crash on his couch and he let me drive his truck too, which is pretty cool. And now he's one of my, he was my first passive investor and he's still passively invested with me today. So it's all worked out great. But um, anyway, I went there to, uh, to the event and I suppose I may, maybe am naturally a, an introverted shy guy. If I don't really feel like I'm, I know what I'm doing or what I'm supposed to do. So I get to the event, uh, you know, on time, get my name tag. And then I'm standing there in my suit, kind of looking around, like, I'm not really sure what to do right now. And I'm definitely looking kind of awkward and intimidated, right? Because I don't know who these people are and I'm betting they have some pretty cool resumes. So I feel intimidated. And this one guy, his name's, I haven't talked to him basically since then, but I still remember his name, Jay Harley. We're friends on Facebook. He looked over to me, he's read my name tag. I'd never seen him before. He'd never seen me before. He said, Taylor, come on over here. And he waved me into his conversation. And that, that like changed that one little act of kindness helped change my life. And that's why I'm saying his name. Cause he just did me a huge favor because that just showed me like kind of how to start these conversations with people, especially at these events. And you know what? Sometimes you go to these events, you start conversations with people and it ends up being really stinking awkward and big deal. Move on, go talk to somebody else. You know, whatever you got to go get a drink or something to kind of reset your mind. But on the topic of introversion, extroversion, not feeling like you know what to do. For me, it was, it's just kind of a matter of knowing what to do. But, you know, at the end of these events, at the end of the day, 
I'm completely exhausted. I mean, I'm, I'm so tired. It really does drain my energy. But again, at that same event, Russell Gray, one of the real estate guys. Oh, I know those guys. Yeah. You, if you're in this space, you got to know. They're legends. Guys. Yeah. They really are. And they're, they're very nice guys. Uh, he said, and in my mind's hazy because this was like eight years ago or something like that. But he said that he's an introvert. He identifies as an introvert and he gets exhausted at the end of the day at these events too. But in order to achieve the things he wants to achieve, he kind of has to pretend to be somebody he's not, meaning an intro, uh, excuse me, meaning an extrovert for a little while. So if you're not an introvert, you kind of got to pretend to be an extrovert for a little while. And I think once you do it a few times, at least for me, kind of get, get over some of the reservations a little bit, because again, if it's awkward, big deal, move on, go talk to somebody else. You know, this is something that going back to relationships and people, this is something that we have to do. If we want to succeed in this business, we have to talk to people. So I don't know, get over it. I think that's probably, <laughs> you know, part that's of the reason true. for your success is you kind of have a little, you straddle a little bit of the both brains. It sounds like, you know, you, you can, um, you can talk numbers, you know, how to underwrite, you know, the terms, you know, you know, that side of the business. And then you also can, you know, push yourself out there out of your comfort zone and socialize and, and meet new people and forge relationships. I mean, I think that that right there is a winning combination. That's kind of what we're trying to do here. And he's also the kind of guy where he's, you know, Vince is an engineer, uh, rainy guy, but he's also, uh, very good with just talking to people as well that's something he's he's cultivated it's kind of actually how we met up in la so it was an event that was that was kind of a lot of uh, the topic was self-improvement and social skills and stuff and so for me i'm naturally very social but i'm trying to get more into the analytical side so i'm, I'm coming from the opposite i'll talk to everybody anywhere i'm the extrovert of extrovert i'll talk to if i even if i don't even know anything about anything I'm just, I'm not the guy that gets intimidated. We went to some huge event in Florida, the Jake mm -hmm. and Gino event. Oh, nice. And I would just walk <laughs> up to anybody in a suit and or whatever. It didn't matter to me. And he'd be like, Hey man, you know, this guy's worth like a billion dollars, right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't say anything stupid. <laughs> okay. Same event. I got another example for you. That uh -huh. same exact event, but later on in the day, I think it might've been the second day or something or Maybe the first day they're having like a cocktail mixer after the things over at the same hotel where it was. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll stay still feeling really awkward. I don't know what I'm doing, um, but, you know, Brad Sumrock was there. He's a guy who's he was kind of big then. And I mean, now they've done huge, so yeah. much more. Right. Um, and another guy at the event, Michael Becker, if you I don't know if you're familiar with. Hell yeah, Michael I know Becker. Michael Becker. Yeah, they're all Texas guys. Yeah, all Texas guys. And they both spoke at that event. And I had heard them a little bit before. Granted, I was pretty new at the time. But at the cocktail hour afterward, first off, I was in a group of conversation with Brad, who's a very energetic guy, very out there. And he talked to me for a little while. And then, you know, that kind of ended. I went, you know, got another drink. He kind of moved on to talking to other people because he's, you know, they're pitching, what's selling, whatever. That's totally fine. And then Michael Becker walked up to me and he read my my name tag. He said, so Taylor, what's going on? Or something along those lines. And he, he treated me like an equal, which again, he's been on my podcast and I told him straight up, even on, I told him on the air, that was one of the nicest things anybody's ever done for me at one of those events. And I was horribly intimidated. And he asked me, he asked me if 
he could, you know, I need another drink. He's like, Oh, you want me to buy, buy some or whatever? What do you want? You know, he kind of offered me a drink and I was so awkward and intimidated. I was like, no, no don't worry about it. I kind of walked away and went and got my own <laughs> drink. Right. And I'd probably still do that today, but just that, that he, you know, was so kind and treated me like an ego. And this is a guy at the time. I mean, I don't know how many units he's done now, but at the time he'd already done like 5,000 doors or something yeah, like that. Thousands of doors, yeah. The nicest guy. Right. So this is this event. I'm so intimidated, but all these guys are like being super nice and super friendly. And okay. So this isn't that bad. You know, what's the big deal? You know, nobody's, nobody's going to, you know, give you a hard time here really. And if they do, I mean, it's not going to happen, but if they do just walk away, you know, big deal. Um, I'd say another thing that's, that helped, that's helped me out, not in the space of of real estate investing, but in the space of just kind of confidence is I've been training Brazilian jiu-jitsu since 2015. I went to class for an hour and a half, a uh, little bit earlier before we started recording this podcast. I love it. I'm a, I'm a blue belt. I hope to get my purple belt this year, but it's not like I'm worried about getting in a physical altercation or anything like that. Because that's ridiculous. No way. But there's just something about it that has helped me feel more confident just in, in daily life. And, um, uh, if you're thinking about it out there, thinking about trying jujitsu, go for it. Stop waiting. Yeah. That, you know, what's funny is I remember taking Krav Maga. Uh, I still take Krav Maga right now. And it, it's just night and day, you know, walking to any public venue. It's very rare that I'm ever even any kind of, I'm like just nice to everybody. It's pretty rare that anyone's ever like, weird or wants to fight no, it's it's never, i don't think it's never, never, ever happened right. so it's it but it's not it's not even the point in taking those classes it just kind of puts this assurance of like if something happens you can handle yourself and i think that's really important if i ever had kids i would get them in some kind of martial arts as soon as they like were able to walk you know he does boxing as well that's yeah, that's nice. his thing you know so i like boxing i i'm very, i'm very focused on things i want to do like you do brazilian jiu-jitsu he does krav maga like it's too much. I just want to know how to knock you out in like a second. Boxing, <laughs> like that's great. all I want. Yeah. yeah, but you know, it's just the basics. Uh, boxing, you got to learn other martial arts for groundwork and stuff. But uh, yeah. going back to um, you got into the first uh, syndication. You did a bit of everything. You did some asset management. You know, to get on, got on the calls and then did some capital raising. And you figured out within that. Um, model that first deal that you would like to focus on um capital raising is that how you became that it was after uh, a couple of deals but yeah i mean that was really that was just the stuff that i like to do okay. i mean it's it's hard to how do, how do you explain something that you like to do more than something you something oh no 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 i get I, it no that's you know? really good i just, i like that you have a very very specific thing that you do. Yeah, you're you're like Hunter Thompson, right? That's what he does too. I was just talking to Hunter, Hunter Thompson a couple of weeks ago at a, at an event. And uh, yeah, I mean that he, he's um, a very energetic uh, guy. Yeah. He's done, done very well. And I've read his books several times. Yeah, read That's it. great. Yeah. Learned a lot from him. And so how many deals are you in, invested in active side and passive side right now? Uh, on the active side, so I would say as a in the capital raising model that I'm doing right now, wouldn't count that as the active side because I don't control the deal at all. We just find the operators and vet them and vet the deals. And then we're basically p- passively participating alongside our investors. So don't want to get that twisted that I'm not 
the operator anymore. Um, on so are you the, part of the GP or they give they, you have to be part of the GP? You cannot be part of the LP, right? So it gets a little different with the securities licenses and everything. Okay. You, you may not necessarily have to be, but yeah, generally the a lot of compensation comes through the GP equity, but we still don't control the deal. The operator themselves. Oh yeah, I got, I got you. Yeah, you know, the control I mean, of the deal. Um, so they don't just pay you like, here's your commission. Thanks for your help, and they move on. But you, you, you actually get equity, or is it a little bit of both, or what? Yeah, and you know, I invest my own money in these deals too because. You know, I think that's part of the responsibility of this. Like if I believe yeah. in a deal that I want to present to somebody. Sure. Makes it way then, easier to sell if your skin's in the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just part of the, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does make it easier, right? If you can tell somebody, yes, I'm investing my own money in this for sure. Yeah. They want to hear that, but right. I also want to be able to tell them that, right? It would yeah. be fraud for me to lie to them and I would never do that. I would only give sure. them the honest answer, but I, 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 Eventually I'll run out of money, right? I'll have all my, my, my capital deployed. So I won't be able to invest in all the deals Cross my fingers. I hope that doesn't happen. But um, yeah, I think that's just, that's just part of the thing is you have to invest your own money in these deals. You have to have skin in the game, right? So you have a, how many deals did you say you're kind of involved in? So we're still holding one from the active side and that is closing uh, the sale of that is closing in a couple of weeks. That one's been kind of a headache. And then on the passive side, you'd probably count it as three more at the moment. Okay. Any, any, you think how, if you wanted to, I know we talked about this after we got off air with your podcast, how, how close or how far are you off from, if you wanted to get out of your day gig? A couple of years. Oh, that's not bad probably. at all. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Nice. Yeah. And that's, and I, is that, yeah. that's just with everything that's with capital raising the passive investments, the active investments, or do you, are you trying to get into another active deal now that you're selling it in a couple of weeks or what's the plan? So there are rules around what I can and can't do as a part of being securities licensed. So I can't be a part of another syndication as a general partner, um, based on not being able to sell securities outside of the observation of my broker deal and all those kinds of things. There's regulatory reasons. Um, but generally speaking, again, going back to the, the laser focus is like, this is this, this strategy for investing, this is what I'm focused on. So anything else, if I were to go to just for example, something I dabbled in years ago, if I were to go do a direct mail campaign to self-storage owners and try to buy a self-storage on my own with my own money, try to do that. That would just be a distraction from this business that I'm, you know, dedicated to, right? So, you know, that's the plan is just be as laser focused as I can on, on you know, this one thing. And, and as a con to go back to earlier in our conversation, the, the 24 year old with 15 doors, you mm -hmm. know, he's talking about trying to figure out what he's going to do. And one of my pieces of advice to him was once you figure out what you want to want to do, and he's talking about doing syndication, you have to focus on it. Like that has to be the thing, right? If you want to do larger multifamily deals, anything other than that, if you're straying off to short-term rentals, not there's anything wrong with short-term rentals. I have qualms with them for different reasons, but that's just a distraction from um, the main task at hand. So, you know, focus is, is really the big thing for me. And I'm a shiny object. 
object yeah. syndrome guy up and down. You're not a shiny ob no, object I syndrome. I am you for are? sure. Okay. Big time. <laughs> Big time. Interesting. Nice. So how did you discover that your niche is raising capital? That's kind of interesting to me. Interesting question. I mean, it was just through, just through doing it, just being involved in those deals. I found that that was the stuff that I like to do. I, I like to talk to investors. I actually like to go have coffee with somebody on a Saturday morning before I go to jujitsu class. I just picked that because that's, you know, happening very soon um, next weekend and you get to know them. And if we can benefit them, then, then great. And if not, you know, then great, but that's the stuff I like to do. I don't like talking to brokers. I don't like walking through properties. I don't like underwriting. I mean, you have to know how to underwrite to look at deals, but I don't want that to be like my thing. Right. So, you know, I, I think when you find the thing that you like to do, if it, if you, if you can scale it, if you can focus on it, then that's what you should do. Interesting. What would you do differently? Like overall, like one big thing before you got involved? I would do stuff, stuff so much faster, man. I screwed around for so long. I didn't, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but like I started my podcast. I had a podcast before the current one, but I started this podcast in 2018, but I've been listening to podcasts since 2009, you know, 2008 wow. when I was in college. Now I wouldn't have started a podcast then. Right. But shoot, I got interested in real estate investing in the mid 20 teens. I should have started a podcast then because again, that has been one of the biggest learning experiences that I've had. You totally. get the opportunity yeah. to talk to people and learn and network. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's true. And then also uh, I'm sure you're able to kind of cultivate interest in business through the podcast as well. Right. Sure. I mean, that's, that is of course, yeah, that's, that's definitely part of it, but I never, no matter what I do, I never want to be or seem salesy. I mean, it doesn't yeah. matter what you're doing in life, you're selling something, but yeah. I'd rather lead with value because I think yeah. that's more interesting. And also that keeps me more interested in the topic. If it was just, if I was just constantly trying to pitch whatever, then yeah. I would get bored. I, I, I was just talking it. to somebody about this. I think the secret to sales, because that's mostly what I do as well in my different businesses that I have, the secret is, is when someone says, uh, I, I've, been, I've been very flattered many times where I'll be at a lunch and I'll just take the call and they'll see me close a deal. And then they'll be like, what was that? Like, that was amazing. And I'm, it, it, it's super flattering, but I always forget that I'm good at it because it doesn't <laughs> feel like I'm selling something. It doesn't feel like I'm closing and I'm like hustling. It doesn't feel like that at all to me. It just feels, because I, I, I just... I just truly believe in what it is that I'm selling, whether it's real estate, whether it's a deal with us, whether it's music lessons, right? Or whatever it is, I believe in it. And for me, it's just like, oh, I'm just connecting dots, which is just mm -hmm. what you said. You know, I think the secret to sales is to not think of it as sales. You know, it's almost a dirty word, in fact, you know, for a lot of people like, oh, a sales guy, you know, but uh, you are in a way. And I think the, the power, but you, I think the big thing is you understand the power of real estate because you're involved in it. For me as a realtor, I've only been a realtor for a handful of months. Oh, actually, I, I got an award. I'm kind of bragging a lot on this. <laughs> nice. But I, I want to make a point for our viewers. I just got this like rising star thing from the awesome. Keller Williams. I'm, I've been an agent for a handful of months. Um, but one of the reasons why I've been 
good about, you know, bringing people in and getting them excited about real estate through my sphere of influence or whatever is because it's changed my life meeting this guy and just starting our journey, you know, despite the headaches and the C buildings and, and stuff like that, like you were talking about all the management woes that just come with it. It's, it's completely changed my life to the, to the point to where it's like, it's night and day. Like I was actually looking I forgot why I was doing this, but I was looking, you know, back like five years ago, what was happening with like my finances and all that stuff and net worth. And it was just like, it is completely changed. You know? <laughs> and had I not tapped this guy on the shoulder one day in LA in a convention, I mean, I'd be doing all right, but it wouldn't be close to like kind of what's been happening in my life. And so it kind of comes full circle back to uh, relationships. You know, I think that's a huge um, for all these podcasts that we do, I like to really try to like, let's just drive home some lessons for anyone listening, cultivating relationships with people is huge, especially people who compliment you in, in many ways. I would never want to analyze deals like he does. He's the underwriter guy. He's the acquisitions. I could do all that, but I would, I would hate it <laughs> if I'm being honest. There you go. I like the management. I like, I actually kind of get on a sick, in a sick way. I like to figure out like, okay, who didn't pay? who's short, what's happening, relationships. I enjoy that, you know? I so. think that's why our partnership works. I hate that shit. I'll be like, oh yeah, this person that I'm like super nice. He's like, no, they need to be out. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I will kill you. It's dog. always good cop, bad cop. Yeah. But um, anyways, but I want to bring it back to you. Um, in terms of kind of what you want, I, I'm always curious just to ask people this too. Is there like, a reason why you got involved what's what's your why yeah what's your why? so yeah oh you hit it there, hard. I know. sorry that was a hard pivot but i i love no, that's fine question. it's not a problem so i remember i i remember when i went to college it was right at the beginning of the great recession right when when stuff was really starting to go bad and I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky. I, I, my parents are great and they put me through college. Right. So I'm, I'm super lucky. I'll never, I'll never try to hide that. And I'll never try to downplay, you know, what they did for me or, or how they helped me, uh, help set me up, you know, for life to be in, in a nice position or what I consider to be a nice position. But in order to achieve that during the great recession, my dad worked, hundred hours a week struggling to keep his job. Now he made good money, right? But it was that time where everybody's cutting all their staff, right? You're worried about, you're going to have a job next week and all those kinds of things. And I just thought to myself and, you know, and this is, I watched that happen and I thought, well, I need to do everything that I can so that I can try to avoid that. So to me, I, I listened to I listen to so many entrepreneurship and investing podcasts and an overarching theme for many of these was multiple streams of income. So I was like, okay, multiple streams of income, income. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means for me, what that's going to turn into. And eventually that did end up morphing into real estate investing, but building that, you know, diversification so that, I mean, it, 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 I'm sure it sucked for him to go through that. And it sucked for me to watch you know, and uh, I'm sure I, I'm sure it was you know difficult for my mom, my sister. You know, I, I don't know their their experiences, but I don't know that that's really 
what sticks in, in, in my mind is I wanted to try to be ready for tough economic times in the future, which are always going to happen. They're inevitable. Are they going to all be as bad as a great recession? Probably not, but recessions happen. And I thought multiple streams of income, I got to do it. Plus, you know, there's a, there's this topic there or this, this reality that it is incredibly expensive to retire and be old in the U S and, you know, again, my parents have, have done well for themselves, but I want to know that I'm going to be ready to like, take care of them when I need to, you know, unfortunately my, my parents are turning 60 this year. My dad just turned 60. My mom's turning 60 soon, but so they've got a long time till that's going to be a problem. And I think they're, they're in fine financial position anyway, but I don't want there to even be like a question mark about that. And that has just been, you know, important for me. And then they're absolutely a hundred percent that that's really, you know, what it all comes down to. And then there, there are causes that I, I do support, but I want to support more. I mean, I I just want to do more and I'll give you another example of a guy. So senior year in college, um, in the college of, or the school of chemical engineering or whatever, one of our professors put together an entrepreneurship class. And it wasn't so much of a class as it was, Hey, we're going to meet successful alumni and hang out with them and learn from them for, you know, a credit for this semester, you know, it's really nothing. But one of the guys that we met, we got, we all got to pick one of these speakers that we would go to dinner with at a fancy restaurant that was in the little college that I went to, went to school at university of Delaware in Newark. And the guy that I picked was, uh, did chemical engineering and the, the details are a little foggy, but he was, he was an older man and he had a hand in some invention in, in like the Genesis of computers. He eventually, he was, an, he was orphaned growing up. He got into college, got his PhD in chemical engineering and then he got into venture capital and all these things and made a huge pile of money. Then we're you know out at, at lunch with him. And I realized that he had like part of the building named after him, one. And two, while we were at dinner, the president of the university came up to this guy and said hi to him and shook his hand at this, like out in public, like just saw him across the room and came up and said, hi, the president of University of Delaware is now the head of the Philadelphia fed. Like he's not like some little guy, right? He's kind of an important person. And I just thought, man, I'd like to have a building named after me someday. (laughs) Maybe that's a little vain, but you know, I'm, I care a lot about, so I've been a vegetarian since 2015. I care so much about uh, the ethical and, 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 and humane treatment of animals. I donate to that. And I just want to do so much more than I'm I'm able to do now to support that cause. And I don't know what that means, you know, in, in the future, you know, 10, 20 years down the line, I just, I just want to do more in that vein. And to do that, I get to make more money. Yeah. And that's, that's the only way I can see. Yep. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Vince? Yeah. I mean, um, I actually, uh, I know it's, uh, we're almost, uh, time. Uh, it's about, about an hour. Bedtime. Oh, wow. I wanted to ask 30 PM here. Let's say you met because I want uh, people who are uh, listening to this to uh, take something away too, other than all the wisdom you've been pouring. Is let's say you, uh, Drew, and I are at the coffee shop with you, and we are the passive investors. 
And uh, what would you say to them, like the benefits of investing passively, right? Like why, why can't like, I, I can just go buy my own house, bro. I don't need to give you money. I yeah, can keep all good. of the profit. What, why should I give you money? Like, how do you do that? Sure. So my goal in talking to a passive investor is not to say the benefits to them. It's mm -hmm. to understand what their problem is or what their, their issues are and what their goals are. Right. Mm -hmm. So that I can relevantly, you know, give them the facts about the situation. And if they are somebody who says, why should I passively invest? I could go do it myself. Okay. Do you, do you have the time available? Can you do that? Do you have the expertise to do all these things? And if they check all these boxes and if it is a better move for them to go buy their own property, then go do it. I'm not going to tell somebody that, you know, they should passively invest if it it's not the right fit because frankly, the last thing that I want is a passive investor invested in one of these deals who was the wrong fit and shouldn't have invested because it's not right for them. It's not right for me. It's going to be a headache all around, right? It's all better if we just focus on what is the best you know, move yeah. for us. So passively investing in a deal is not the right fit for everyone. And I don't think there are magic words that I could say to Mr. Active Investor that would, you know, change his mind about his ability to generate, you know, outsized returns in his own deals versus, you know, passively investing in a, in a deal. You know, if they want to do that, go for it. Yeah, that's, that's a great answer, man. Yeah. We, we pivoted from trying to explain the benefits and stuff to people to now we, you know, have a podcast, we do meetups and we just kind of say, this is what we're doing. We don't care if you don't do it. We are going to do it. We are doing it. You yeah. can be part of it or you can do it by yourself. This is what's going on in the world. What's yeah. money printing? What's inflation? You can't <laughs> to educate, you know, people on yeah. that stuff. They're just like trying to work a job where they just print more money, devalue your time, right? I mean, people don't get it. So I'm like, I, I just try to educate that, you know? So that's that's what we see. That's, that's a great answer. That, what you're doing right there, that is sales. But we think about sales being throwing benefits, right? You go check out yeah, the, right. to go back to, to go to the like car. Yeah. This, this car has 400 horsepower and it's red paint and blah, blah, blah. Like, man, yeah, I, yeah. you know, I don't want a 400 horsepower car. I want something that's efficient or whatever. Oh, no, I mm. want the 400 I horsepower do too. I, car. I, Let's go. I do too. But I'm just going for the sleazy <laughs> salesman throwing, you know, benefits yeah, yeah, you yeah. The wrong fit. but no, I agree with you. I'd, I'd go for the fast car. We literally had a conversation today. I'm trying to make him buy a 300 horsepower Mustang. He's like 400 or nothing. I'm like, dude, <laughs> 400 minimum. He literally said 400 horsepower. That's I'm like, starting. That's starting. It's like eight cylinders, 15 miles per gallon, Let's seven go. bucks a gallon Let's in California. Go. I'm like, <laughs> thank God you're not an underwriter for our deal. <laughs> I'm hoping that within the next, next couple of years, car prices kind of hopefully calm down with the money printing. Who knows what's going to happen, right? Yeah. But I really, I, I like Teslas, but they have a lot of service, reliability, and initial quality issues. I think I like the look of them, the the Ford Mach E, except for the little stupid dial, volume dial in the in the screen. I, I don't like the hatchback on on those. I can't get over it. I, I can see I can see how it wouldn't be to everybody's taste. I also like the F one fifty Lightning. That now those aren't out yet, but Not I think yet. that's going to be a hit, and it's going to be a truck. That's basically faster than any other truck that's out there. I think they're gonna, you know, fly off the shelves, and I kind of want one. Everyone's getting yeah. on the game. That's awesome.
Do you have anything else, dude? Oh, no, man. It's been great. Uh, I didn't know who you were at all going into this. And now I feel like I've kind of got an idea of your journey, what you're doing. And, and it's cool that you found your niche. I think what I like to do is, um, you know, just finish it with uh, takeaways, you know, and kind of maybe go round table real quick. So I know you got you got to pass out. You hey, it's fine. It's all good. Uh, I'll start us off. I think just some takeaways for the uh, anyone listening is, again, the relationships thing is huge. Uh, read um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It is top five, one of the best books that will change your life if you've not read it. Anyways, and then um, I think that the big lesson is, is Taylor is successful because he's found his niche. He found what he really enjoys. And it's as simple as that. So it feels effortless. You know, I think that's huge um, because it's easy to get tired doing something you hate you know so um Vince yeah uh, I would I would like to say the same like you you found something that you enjoy doing and you have a niche on that market and also I would like to give a shout out to his podcast which is the passive world strategy show and I like that uh I think the catchphrase that we use is how to escape the wall street casino I really like that that's really cool. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's what he says on the podcast. Well, thanks so much. And that that again goes down to providing information because I, I'm involved in syndications, but we don't only talk about syndications on the show. We talk about notes and turnkey investing and the mm-hmm. type of investing that you guys are doing and everything that's out there because again, syndications aren't right for everybody. And, and if I can add to how to win friends and influence people, great book. Again, top five. I would add another one that to supplement that, Crucial Conversations. If you if you haven't read that, I'd highly recommend it. And it's a pretty short book too. Just uh, check nice. check that one out. That, that's a great one. Love it's helping book a lot. Recommendations. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much, dude. Well, thanks for your time. Um, Want to plug you one more time? PassiveWealthStrategy.com, the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Uh, talk to your TikTok to your boy Taylor. Uh, do you have any like Instagrams or emails that you want to share? Or is that good enough? Or- we do. I think the best place for folks to go to kind of get the compendium of, of information, a couple blog posts about real estate syndication investing or how to get in touch with me or anything like that, strategies to passively invest in real estate that aren't just real estate syndication, just go to, and and Vince, you might like this one. Get ready. Go to escapingwallstreet.com. Nice. Oh, dude, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, love that's it. awesome. Escapingwallstreet.com, everybody. Go visit it right now. Get educated. Learn how this, <laughs> learn how learn how wealth is really built. You know, it's not buying and selling Tesla stocks every day. Oh man. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> well, thanks so much, thanks, Taylor. Man. We'll let you thanks, go, guys. man. Get some sleep, buddy. Thanks for your time. We appreciate Sounds it. Sounds good. Thanks, man. Bye.